want the cup. We want the cup. We want the cup. We want the cup. Not too bad, man. We're dealing with a snowstorm up here in Canada, but uh, I'm sure you down there in Philly are quite used to that at this point this winter. Oh, yeah. we uh, The 30 inches of snow from the other, like, three, four weeks ago now is still here. So I've uh, been seeing it every day, and we got more coming on Thursday. It's just a phenomenal winter around here, really. Yeah, well, I think we're all just getting accustomed to it <laughs> nowadays with the ever-changing weather and climate and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. But, uh... We're going to take a trip back up to the North Division. We got off track a little bit last week with Columbus, but we're back up in Ottawa, uh, courtesy of TSN 1200. Dean Brown is joining us. Dean, how are you doing? I'm doing well, boys. And uh, probably better than the Senators. Started off 4-12-1. You know, obviously, they are built for the future right now, but were they expected to be quite this bad this season? Uh, I don't think so. I think they thought they would be more competitive, um, but... You know, I, I guess it, it all depends on expectations, uh, you know, when you talk to fans or you try to listen to what's going on on social media. And I, I think really expectations um, is, is what kind of set the standard here. And there's really not very many at all that expected this team to make the playoffs. So I guess the only perspective was, you know, how, how, how far from making the playoffs would this team end up? And they certainly have been better of late, but uh, there's there's no questioning that they're not a playoff team. You know, to your point, they have been better of late. And on the television broadcast last night, Gord Miller and Ray Ferraro were talking about how they're prob- they probably would have had a better record had it not been for some subpar goaltending earlier in the season. Do you think that's a fair assessment? One of the problems, for sure. You know, this is a team, especially earlier in the season, uh, you know, the last, I don't know, three, four games, they've played better. Maybe going back as many as five, they've played, they've played a lot better. Um, and, and certainly, you know, they've had some subpar goaltending. That's a, an absolute fact. Um, but I don't think that's the singular reason why they are where they are. There has been, you know, inadequacies riddled throughout their roster and throughout their game. And, and I suppose in, in some ways, you know, that's not a shock in that, you know, this team didn't, uh, wasn't in the playoff round last year. So, you know, they hadn't played a game of any consequence uh, since last March. Um, and they had no preseason games and half the team had changed. They had uh, 10 new players on their starting roster to start this season. So you've got a lot of change. A lot of guys aren't used to each other. A lot of guys who haven't played with each other and a lot of youth on this uh, on this team as well. So you add all those things up and bad goaltending doesn't help, but it certainly isn't or wasn't the exclusive reason why this team uh, 
uh, was struggling early on to play a consistent game, and well, not even a consistent game to play consistent periods of hockey. Are they getting what they expected out of Matt Murray when they signed him, or do they expect far more? Well, I think they expect you know he's uh, he's been out for a couple of games uh, after getting injured in in one of the Winnipeg games. Uh, they already told the coach told us today that he's back at practice and they expect that he's going to play one of the next two games. So in effect, he's he's back. I don't think they got what they expected early, um, but they got what they expected in the last little while. You know, it's uh, when he was playing before he got injured, he was playing very well, and uh, that was more what they wanted. But you know, again. You know, you're not trying to make excuses for people, but if you look at the situation he and this team was in, probably not shocking that he didn't come out of the blocks. Uh, you know, as a guy looked like he's challenging for the Vesna Trophy. You know, he uh, uh, is leaving a city that it's the only city he's played in in the NHL, and he and his wife at the same time are, had their very first uh, child. And because of COVID, you know, he was basically staying at home until the last second when he had to report for camp because uh, there was nobody in her family or no one to stay with her and their infant child when he left. So, you know, there's, and then he's going to a new team, doesn't know anybody, new system, team is a young team, team is not expected to be a good team, which puts an awful lot of pressure on the goalie. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a whole bunch of things that conspired against, you know, solid performance early on. But um, he and, uh, you know, the, the backup goaltender, Marcus Hogberg, the, they've kind of settled their game down, and it's happened right around the same time where this team um, is playing, you know, quote-unquote a more consistent game. You know, in their, in their game last night against Toronto, they were, uh, you know, terrible for the first two periods. Uh, and then, you know, played a solid third period, and the Leafs collapsed, and they go on to win it in overtime. You know, so um, this, this team, the biggest thing with this team is goaltending aside is playing. And I know this is one of the worst cliches in sports, but it really is true for this team. Uh, they are at the stage of their development uh, where they struggle to put 60 straight minutes together. You know, they have played good periods, um, but they're still at a point where they're, you know, you play a good period. Now, can you play another one in a row and can you play three in a row, you know? And, and so, Yes, the very long answer to your question, goaltending has been better, but it has by no means been the only problem for the Sounders this season. Sticking with the goaltending, beyond Hogberg and Matt Murray, they have Joey Decord, who is now off the taxi squad, backing up Hogberg. They also have Philip Gustafson on the taxi squad, who they acquired from the Penguins three years ago. Is there any sense that either of those two could be a long-term solution for the, for the uh, Sounders in the crease? Um, sure. You know, you, you always, uh, you always hope that your prospects become the solution to one of your problems or one of your questions. I, I think, I think here, um, really there's only a question of who is going to be the backup on this team, you know, contractually. Um, it, it, uh, it is pretty obvious that, uh, you know, their number one goalie is, is Matt Murray. So um, unless something dramatic happens there and that, that forces a, a, a change, um, you know, you, you know, job is is available to be competed for and right now it's it's the backup job um marcus holberg is uh going to be a restricted free agent at the end of this year he's on a one-way contract but it only pays a million dollars so it's not like he's breaking the bank here but if somebody whether it's decord or gustafson or you know down the road mandalees or another guy matt sogard they have playing in denmark right now or the kid they drafted this year levi marilainen you know whether it's one or a couple of those guys um, they will be competing with Hogberg for the backup job. So 
Um, going forward, I think probably if you were to lay a bet, uh, the guy who's most likely to be the competitor uh, to most challenge would likely be Joey Decord. But, you know, you never know because what what this team has in, in this position and in many positions on this team is a great deal of youth. You know, they don't they don't have that, you know, that veteran guy in the minors who's helping to, you know, train and mentor the young goaltenders coming up. All their guys are kids. You know, I think Joey Decord, even though he's only in his second pro season, I think he's and just off the top of my head. I think he's the oldest guy. I think he's 24. You know, so it's it's uh, they kind of have a grouping of players right now at that position that are all kind of at the same place in their careers and at the same pace or place chronologically. And so. You know, it's it's hard to tell which guy is going to, if any of them, are going to emerge and be the guy where you say, you just can't keep, he's too good, you can't keep him out of the NHL. And which one of these guys is going to be a situation where you're going to say, he is definitely better than Marcus Hogberg. You know, they're not, they're not in a situation right now where they know the answers to those questions. And uh, it's one of those deals where I think only time is going to be able to tell you which guy emerges as a guy to possibly challenge Hogberg for the backup spot. Let's talk their third overall pick from the 2020 draft, Tim Stutzla. Seven points in 14 games. How has he looked here early in the season? Really good. You know, there's not very many. Uh, he's uh, He turned 19, I think, two weeks into the season. So he's a he's a fresh 19-year-old. Um, but there's just not very many 18 or 19. There's just not very many teenagers that are capable of uh, of playing in the NHL, no matter how high they're drafted. It's just, it's, it's not a regular occurrence. There's a couple every year, but that's it. There's a couple every year and uh, he's legitimate. You know, they're not uh, just, you know, incubating him and letting him play in the NHL. So, uh, uh, so his trading cards are, uh, are all NHL cards. He, he, you know, he deserves to be here. He's a very impressive young player, but like any player, no matter how high you're drafted, He's still figuring the league out, figuring where he fits in and the things he did at other levels of hockey. Some of them may work at this level. Some of them may not. You know, he's a, he's a guy that has been playing with men since he was 17. He was playing in the German elite league when he got drafted. So, you know, he didn't come out of junior hockey or a junior hockey program. He, he was playing in a men's professional league for the last two years. So he's, he's further ahead than most players his age and is used to playing against guys who are bigger and stronger. Um, but his skill level is extremely high, and that was something that you know you see right off the bat. His compete level is very high because he's been playing with men, and because he's been playing with men, the other thing is he's not intimidated. You know, he's he doesn't play scared. So you know he's uh, he's not the second coming of Gretzky, uh, but he is a very very good player, very very early in his career, and uh, he'll certainly be a star. I think the only question is uh, is he the kind of player who can get himself into superstar status in the next you know two to five years but uh he, he's definitely going to be a star just when you see what he can do now um as a teenager playing against men you you can see that there's uh, there's a very bright future for him sticking with stutzla he's currently playing left wing alongside Derek stepan and jake batherson is there a sense of whether or not he will stick on wing or eventually move to the center ice position uh, there is no sense at all that he will stick on uh, the wing. The the franchise, the general manager, um, said before the season even started uh, that their plan is that he will be a future center on this team. But to get him inducted into the NHL, make things a little bit easier for him, so he doesn't have to, you know, carry a line or run a line, is have him playing wing where he can just find his way. Um, but they've made no bones about the fact uh, that they plan on him being a center on this team 
uh, in the future. The only question is when does that future start? It, it, it wouldn't surprise me um, if he plays this entire year as a winger just because, you know, like I said, this team's not making the playoffs. There's no need to rush him. There's no need to say we got to get him at center right away. You know, there's there's no need for that. So it wouldn't surprise me if they played him, uh, you know, left wing this entire year and then next year in training camp, just start him at center and leave him there and see how that works. But uh, yeah, there, there's uh, there's no secret in that regard. They have they have said publicly from the very outset that uh, he starts as a winger, but they intend for him to be a a lifetime centerman on this team. What's going on with the Derek Stefan situation? Does he get uh, going to get traded, or what's going on? I don't really know. Uh, the question, I think, would be when you get close to the trade deadline, is there a market for Derek Stefan? Uh, you know, as as a guy who's a a veteran guy and a very good guy as far as a mentor and a teammate, uh, you know, he he's a guy that probably I would say if he's interested would be a very good coach after his career is over. Really good communicator. Um, he would be a guy that some teams might be interested in uh, for some veteran depth in the playoffs. Um, and you know, because, uh, he's going to be a UFA at the end of this year, uh, any team that trades for him doesn't mean they're tied to him for the next five years or anything. They, you know, they can use him for the playoffs and if they choose to resign him, they can, but if they choose not to, they can just let him walk and uh, nothing lost except for the draft pick. I'm sure that they give up to get him in the first place. But, you know, I, I think if you look at Derek Stepan and, and a couple of guys in this team, older guys that they picked up before the season, you know, they were really intended to be transitional players for this team. They were meant to be players to get Ottawa through this, this stage where they are right now because Ottawa has so many prospects because, you know, because they've been bad for a while, they've had a lot of draft picks. And, you know, a lot of those kids are all kind of at the same time getting ready to transition into the NHL. So you, you have to have spaces for them to play. But at the same time, you have to have some balance. You can't have a team of all kids because that's no, that's just a nightmare. Just even if the kids are talented, that just doesn't work. So um, I think Derek Stepan kind of fits into that that category of transitional players that you know they went out and got him and they want him for a specific reason, but it's not a long time kind of thing. So if they could move him at the deadline, then get a draft pick for him, or maybe even before that, uh, you know, to get a draft pick for him, I think that would be you know, part of the plan with uh, with that player and that, you know, to use him to try and insulate some of the players and be a good teacher and a mentor, but not meant to be here for a long time. So one, one way or the other, uh, even if they don't move him, if they can't find a market for him this year, I would, I would, uh, I would be very surprised if they re-sign him after this year as a UFA. I, I would be surprised if they were to, uh, to extend him after the season, because again, you know, they have a lot of young guys coming up and actually one answer ties into the next one. You know, if, if you're going to next year, going to move Tim Stutzla to center, that means that somebody who's a center today won't be a center next year. And I think, you know, Derek Stepan's name probably flashes pretty bright if you're trying to figure out who that might be. Sticking with the center ice position, a name that has been polarizing for the past 18 months has been Colin White since he signed that six-year contract extension before last season in August of 2019. He started the season as a healthy scratch, now has seemed to have found his niche in between Nick Paul and Evgeny Dadnov. Is he finally starting to live up to his full potential and get on the good side of DJ Smith? I think so. Uh, you know, or I think he's just starting to play the way he can and should and what's expected of him. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he's a guy that uh, can skate really well. And uh, he's a guy that has to be able to backtrack and has to be able to win face-offs and has to play a 200 foot game. I think, I think one of the problems uh, for Colin White is that, 
You know, when you watch Colin White or you listen to scouts, um, most of them look at Colin White and say, this is a guy who can be a solid third-line center for your team. But I think one of the problems that Colin White has had is based on expectations. You know, when you're drafted as high as he was drafted and you're getting paid as much as he's getting paid, I think people think that on this team he should be a first or a second-line center. Right now, technically, he is the second-line center on this team. But I think when this team is ready to win and be a playoff team, I can't see him being one of the top two centers on this team. And so, you know, if your expectation is that he's going to be a solid third-line center that's going to be, you know, a, a guy that's going to win faceoffs for you in the defensive zone, that's going to be a, a good matchup guy against the other team's better lines. You know, if, if you get your mind wrapped around that's what you expect him to be instead of projecting what you think he should be based on where he was drafted and how much he makes – it's easier to see him being in the groove he should be in. So for me, you know, that's, that's what I see him as. And that's what I see him as going forward. And I think now he's starting to fulfill that kind of promise. And what I say to people is if you're still waiting for him to be a legitimate first or second line center on a good playoff team, I think you're always going to be disappointed, you know? So I I guess, again, it always kind of goes back to what your expectation is, whether you're, whether you think he's, in a good place right now or still lacking in areas you think he should be better at. Um, so uh, again, I think that's a, that's a perspective question from my perspective. You know, I, I, I'm, I never get on players for how much money they make. It's no one put a gun to the team's head and told them to pay them this much. If a guy gets some money, then get some money. Um, <laughs> but you got to try and live up to it. And if you don't, you're going to get criticism. That's part of pro sports, but it doesn't mean you should give the money back. Um, and uh, same with the draft, you know, just cause you were first round draft pick doesn't mean you're going to be a top six forward the rest of your life. That's just doesn't work that way. So again, I think it's based on expectation. And for me personally, uh, he is playing now more like you would expect of a guy who's going to be a, a good, reliable third line center for your team for a long time. And I think the folly is if you expect more of that from Colin white. So um, again, it's uh, I think for people who are watching this team and watching that player specifically perspective is everything. From an outside perspective, it seems like one of the biggest secret weapons the Senators have is defenseman Thomas Chabot. Uh, is he elite at this point in his career? Um, well, you know, it all depends, again, on who you're talking to. You know, like uh, some of the people, uh, you know, here in Canada, who uh, the, some national media types who uh, do the prognostications and a lot of scouting are projecting him to be on the Canadian Olympic team for the next Winter Olympics, which would put him in the elite class. But I think sometimes uh, people look at Shabbat and they don't think of him as elite because he's not on an elite team. Um, to my way of thinking, when I look around uh, the league, you know, there's there's probably a group of four or five defensemen that are kind of in your your Norris category. Those are the guys each year where you say the Norris Trophy is going to come out of those four or five guys. And then then there's the next group that are the really solid high-end players in the league at that position. And then there's another big group that are, you know, reliable everyday players. And then there's another group of guys that are just hanging on. And then there's a group of young guys trying to get into the league and trying to be consistent. I would say Thomas Shabbat is solidly in that second group where I don't think he'll be on anybody's card for the Norris Trophy, but he would be if he was on a better team. If he was on a better team, then they could convert a lot of the things that he does and a lot of the things he creates. Um, But, you know, again, he's a, He's an outstanding player on a team that lacks a lot of other outstanding players. So sometimes um, he he kind of bears the brunt of what the team produces, uh, no matter how well he plays. But um, if you if you separate him from the team and wonder what he would look like on a team that's more advanced and more ready to win, you know this team is still evolving. 
in in three years when this team has a lot of better players on it, uh, he might look like a lot better defenseman while actually still being the same defenseman. So um, I, I I would call him elite, but I wouldn't put him in the Norris category just yet. But he is an outstanding player. Another solid prospect defenseman they have is Eric Bronstrom, obviously the crown jewel in the Mark Stone trade. How has his development been to this point? Uh, Herky-jerky, mostly because of injuries. Uh, He's getting back in the lineup uh, tomorrow against Toronto. He's been out the last four games. And so, you know, he's a guy that, again, you know, it seems like I'm going back to this, but it really is truly a part of almost everything people believe about certain players. It's based on what they expect out of them. Uh, I think one of the things that's, uh, you know, a cruel reality that Branstrom has to live with is that he was the biggest piece in the Mark Stone trade. And Mark Stone is a franchise-level player. Um, so there's an expectation that there has to be some value coming back that might not be Mark Stone, but has to be pretty high value. And he has not lived up to that yet because he just hasn't had the chance. He's either been injured or there's been a COVID lockout or, you know, a whole bunch of things. And when he did get in the lineup, um, you know, he, he got injured again. So um, there's there's numbers that don't look good for him uh, and they're just numbers. But, you know, when you're thought of as a, a skilled puck moving offensive defenseman and you've been in 36 NHL games and don't have a goal yet, people notice that. And I'm not sure if that's fair or unfair, but he's a high skill puck moving guy that is basically just trying to start his NHL career. He's at, he's at the starting line. So there's no way of knowing yet um, whether he is going to end up being the crown jewel in the Mark Stone trade, um, because there's no way of knowing yet uh, what he's going to be as a regular NHLer. And uh, uh, I'm not sure. Well, I am kind of sure when you're going to get to that point. I always go by the, by the gauge that uh, Hall of Fame defenseman Denny Potbass said. You know, he, is, he has always said, especially for a defenseman, you know what they are and you know what they're going to be based on where they're at when they play 300 games. 300 games is really the point where you say that's what he is and that's what he's going to be. And the seasons may go up or down, but that's kind of the way it works. And if you look at most defensemen, that's pretty true. Well, Eric Branstrom is a long, long way from 300 games, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly if he is or isn't going to be that crown jewel in the stone trade. Uh, because he really is at the very beginning, at the very starting line of his NHL career. What was up with the Alex Galchenyuk trade? Was that just a salary dump, or what was going on there? No, it wasn't really a salary dump. Moving uh, he and Paquette really had more to do with the fact that those were two of the players uh, that the franchise brought in to be transitional players, to be veteran guys, to help shepherd the young guys through this stage and on to the next. And the reality was that uh, the young guys that they were shepherding ended up being better than them. And neither Galchenyuk uh, nor Paquette uh, made any impact while they were here. And in fact, um, were two guys of the players who played poorly. uh, Those were two of the guys that played the most poorly. Um, So it was just a situation where, you know, if we've been holding spots for young guys, they've already surpassed these two guys. So if we get a deal to move them out, move them out and maybe they can continue their careers somewhere else and maybe move on somewhere else and have something, some kind of success for themselves somewhere else. But uh, it really doesn't save or change much in salary since the player they got back makes more than both of them combined. So really had nothing to do with salary and had everything to do with the fact that you likely weren't going to play them anymore this year because your young players had passed them by on your depth chart. So um, Trying to make a move is very difficult in the NHL right now, so I think probably Pierre Dorian jumped at that one when he had the opportunity to move two players that this team was not going to put on the ice anymore uh, for a player that they will be able to put on the ice anymore anymore in, in the single. He'll uh, 
he'll get a chance to play on this team uh, in virtually every game the rest of the way. Costs more money, but um, you know he's a guy that they'll put on the ice. Whereas with Paquette and the Galchenyuk, uh, they were not going to be playing anymore. You kind of touched on this with Derek Stepan, but they bring in another expiring contract in Ryan Dezingle to go along with the likes of Mike Riley, Eric Goodbranson, Artem Anisimov. Do you think these will ultimately be players that Pierre Dorian will test the market on come the trade deadline? Um, well, there's there's some there's some guys that they see as guys that are part of their future. So in a in a in a, you know in a guy like Goodbranson, for example, he's one of those older guys, and if there's a deal to keep him here that makes sense, they would make a deal on him specifically because he's from here and he's been very good with the young players, and you do have to have some veterans. But the reality for Goodbranson would be his, the realization that he would be signing, re-signing in a situation where his ice time would likely be declining because, again, they have more prospects coming that they plan on playing and they plan on adding, uh, you know, especially at that, that position. You know, they've got Jake Sanderson coming from the University of North Dakota. They've got Lassie Thompson, their first-round pick from two years ago. They've got Jacob Bernard Docker, who's also, uh, ironically enough, at, at UND. Uh, in addition to the fact that you know you look at the guys they're already adding this year, the young guys in Brandstrom and Willannon. So you just, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna re-sign Goodbranson and he wants to re-sign here, it's with the understanding that there are going to be games where he's quite likely going to be a healthy scratch because of the young players they have coming. But when you're looking at UFAs with ex- uh, expiring contracts. One way or the other, they can try and get things for certain guys, but they really only have seven UFAs coming up. Stepan is one of them, who we've already talked about. Anisimov is the is the same kind of thing. You know, Anisimov is making four point six million dollars, and I don't think there's any. You know, they like having him. He's a good guy, and he served his purpose the last two years. But going forward, there's no there's no reason to have an Artem Anisimov. So if they can get something for him at the deadline, they would. Uh, I think probably if they can't, then it would just be a walk away in the summertime. They just would choose not to re-sign him. In the case of Dezingle, um, uh, you know, Colburn is also a guy in that same boat. I, I can't see them re-signing him. And again, if they could get a deal to move him at the deadline, they would for a draft pick, simply because they have younger players that are going to be better. Dezingle will be interesting, though, because um, he's on an expiring contract, $3.3 million. When he was here the last time, um, he was offered a con. The reason they traded him at the deadline is because he turned down a contract offer of five million a year over five years, and he had wow. a, yeah, he he had a, a view of what he was worth and what his future value would be uh, that didn't jive with um, uh, with what the Sanders were offering, and he thought he was worth more. In the two years since then, and the two teams he's been on. Uh, his market value has dropped dramatically, and I think that he comes back to Ottawa now um, with a more humble and realistic view of where and what he is. Uh, so there's a possibility Ottawa could re-sign him, but it's not going to be for what they offered him the last time. When he was traded to Columbus at the deadline, you know he was a healthy scratch in the playoffs, which is not usually what happens when you trade for you know, a team like Columbus. When you trade for a uh, you know a, a fast winger who's supposed to be a scorer, you don't often you know, healthy scratch them in the playoffs. And he really hasn't played much at all in, in Carolina. He's just so far down on their depth chart. So, you know, in, in coming to Ottawa, he has a chance to basically play regularly and uh, maybe, you know, get back to the player that he thinks he is. And that will create value in the marketplace, whether it's in Ottawa or somewhere else. And there may be some consideration for Ottawa in re-signing him. But again, uh, I'm not sure it would be at the kind of money that uh, he was offered last time. 
and it might not even be at the kind of money he's making now at 3.3. So that one's more of an up-in-the-air one, but I think uh, the other ones, you know, each one of them is kind of a different kind of story unto itself. Well, one more for you here, and it's the uh, most hard-hitting one we asked throughout the day. We've been asking everybody this question. <laughs> what do you okay, think of the Ottawa Senators' new jerseys? Uh, I, I, good, super. I, <laughs> I don't really. I'm, I, I've, uh, I've been asked this many times. i got to be honest with you. I'm not really a jersey guy. I, you know, I, I, don't really, I don't really care. And I don't really, to be honest with you, t- pay enough attention to know some of the minor differences from one jersey to another. You know, when somebody told me these jerseys are just modified from the ones from like the 0708 era, well, I can't remember, you know, the, the intricacies <laughs> of those ones. Uh, you know, the jersey thing is a fan thing. So it's important because fans are the customers. And if they like it, I'm all for it. Um, but for me, the only thing I care about are the numbers easy to read when I'm calling a game. And these numbers aren't perfect, um, but I can read the numbers when I'm calling them. So other than that, I, I don't really care. And I, I really, even even though I've been doing this since day one, I couldn't even really list you the different jerseys from each era and describe them because I just don't pay any attention to it. So I'm all for it, and I like them because the fans like them. They've gone over well. Uh, but other than that, I don't care at all. <laughs> Calling a Leafs game with their reverse retros must be uh, a hell of a time, eh? <laughs> well, you know, I, I haven't I haven't called one, but obviously, uh, the, all the, all of us who do the same job are all friends with each other. It's a small community, so you know we're all on good terms with each other. And that night they wore those uh, jerseys for the first time. I was actually texting back and forth with the guys doing that game, and it was a nightmare. They are, <laughs> you know, and for the fans at home, if you're watching the game on TV. You know, trying which ones? Which ones? Mitch Marner, Dad. I can't. You know, like even on TV, unless it was a close-up, you couldn't tell who was who. So, I think it's one of those deals where, you know, the good people, uh, the good people from Adidas, when they had their expert marketers developing all these jerseys, uh, they wanted to make sure the jerseys looked really cool for a kid who'd be walking through a mall, and never really thought about what they would look like on TV for the fans and for the broadcasters trying to broadcast the game. So, from with those Leaf jerseys, I understand they're making modifications to that jersey uh, to make the numbers and the identification a little bit easier to see. Uh, But there's a couple of other ones. I haven't seen them, but I guess the Ranger jerseys are kind of in the same category where you almost can't even tell who the guy is unless you're 10 feet away from him. So I I think what the NHL hopefully has learned through all this is that uh, you may want to uh, have a look at those jerseys uh, on the ice um, from a TV camera to see what the fans are going to see. Can they tell who they are? And maybe, you know, before you send the final product off to be produced, maybe check with a couple of broadcasters to find out if you can even see the numbers, because that's kind of important to be able to call the game. So <laughs> they, may or may, they may or may not do that in the future. Who knows? But all I know is that, uh, um, by and large, that uh, most of the feedback the NHL has been getting about the New Jersey's has been positive, except for the ones that are unreadable and I'm not sure they're going to make that mistake again. Well, Dean, thank you very much for taking some time in your day and coming to talk to us, and uh, stay safe out there. All right. Anytime, boys. Thanks for the time. Yep. Have a good day, Dean. Okay, guys. Thanks very much. Take it easy. All right. Everybody, that was Dean Brown. And unfortunately, we didn't have more time because I could have told him about all the Ottawa Senators jersey history if he really wanted to hear about it. <laughs> he sounded less than enthralled with the jersey talk. <laughs> but like to be honest, he does kind of have a point that Ottawa's jerseys over the years have really not changed all that much. 
they had their first ones, which is essentially what they're wearing now, just slightly different. And then when Reebok took over, they had the Reebok ones for forever. They've only had a couple uh, different designs throughout their, their new history here. I think the biggest change this year is that they went back to the two-dimensional logo. Yes. Yep. Which, I mean, I, I, I think it was good because, like, you kind of, like, well, it's turning over a new leaf, but you're kind of going back in time. But I think that's an organization that, well, for one thing, how nice is it to, like, talk to a team that did a full-scale rebuild? And then you see all the players and the legitimate stars that they have coming in your line, up their pipeline. Like, And there were a few guys that are still in their system who are going to be players for them who we didn't even talk about up front. You know, he listed some of the guys on the back end, but like Logan Brown and Alex Formanton, like these are guys that are just kind of seasoning in the AHL just because they can afford to. And we hear in Philadelphia, like, oh, yeah, we have all these endless supply of prospects and like we're so uh, we have an embarrassment of riches. Like, uh, yeah, maybe. But you want to look at a time. Yeah, exactly. But it's uh, not currently. But, like, did we ever have a guy like Brady Kachuk or Tim no, Stutzla? Hell no. Not even close. And, and I put this out on Twitter because I've been watching a lot of Ottawa Senators, game, Senators games because I, I do find them a fun team to watch. And you look at some of the guys they have and they've drafted, like Brady Kachuk, Drake Batherson, Nick Paul. Like, these are big guys who can play in your top six. And you just saw that they they drafted diversity in their lineup, something that I think lacked in Philadelphia. Yeah, they, they definitely uh, drafted, you know, top D men, and, and they got a trade. Obviously, we talked about uh, Bronstrom in the show, and Batherson's another guy. I believe the Flyers passed on him, like, twice right before the Senators took him or something like that. Like, oh, they could have had a little bit more diversity, but that's not what Ron Hextall, that's not what the draft plan was for Ron Hextall. His was, you know, good character, two-way guys that can play 200 feet. And then they just, you know, their ceiling is, you know, top AHL guys. And that's that's about it. And that's kind of where we're stuck with right now. And that can carry us into the Flyers talk. Obviously, they are rebounding from their stint with COVID. Uh, the game for Thursday against the Rangers, as of right now, is still on. Their first practice today since, what, last Sunday? Um... Not looking great. <laughs> Pretty much everybody is still on COVID protocols. And it does not seem like the guys that are on the list today are going to be available for Thursday. That being Giroux, Lindblom, Konechny, Voracek. Uh, I don't know if I have the full list in front of me right now, but like pretty much anybody of worth will not be there. It is going to be the New York Rangers against the Lehigh Valley Phantoms featuring such guys Carson Turinsky, Maxim Shushko, Connor Bonham, and David Kasha, Sam Moran, possibly Nate Prosser and Mark Friedman, and Derek Pouliot's hanging around as well. So this could be this could be a rough little game here on Thursday. Yeah, I mean, the, the depth everyone's talking about is certainly going to get a test, that's for sure. And uh, in some way, I'm kind of excited. I'm trying to take the glass half full approach here. But I, I want to see what some of these guys have. And you, you've you talked fairly high of Maxim Shushko, have you not? I really like... David Kasha has been tearing it up early this year for the fandoms. He's looked phenomenal. Shushko, I, I haven't noticed much uh, throughout the beginning of this season. But... I always thought he has—he's he, a guy that showed a lot of potential last year. This is his second season. He's only got you know 
couple dozen AHL games under his belt right now. But, you know, I, I do think he's got the potential um, to be a star in the future. I think it's far too early for him to be making that move. But if he does get into the lineup, you know, it's that kind of experiencing that could go a long way into helping his development. What kind of game does Sushiko bring? Because I'm, I have a real hard time pronouncing that, Sushiko. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Uh, like, because obviously Kasha, he brings, you know, more of a two-way north-south game, a lot of speed. But does Sushko bring anything different from what we've been accustomed to with a lot of these prospects over the last 24 months or so? I don't think he's quite as two-way driven as, you know, guys like Bunneman and Kasha have been. Uh, he definitely has more of the offensive potential. There's definitely been some dazzling plays there from him in the offensive zone, uh, which is why I say that he's not quite ready for the league because his two-way game isn't thoroughly up to speed and his offense hasn't been consistent enough to show it. But every time he scored last year, um, you know, th- that I got to witness live, I was like, God damn, that was pretty. You know, <laughs> So I think he'll be one of those guys, you know, maybe more along the lines of an Abe Kubel type player, you know, that, you know, isn't going to score a whole lot, but when he does, it's going to look real good. Um, so it's still early for him, but I, I like I said, I, I think in the long term he's still got some potential. I don't know what is tr- if that translates to the NHL at all, but yeah, I, I definitely do like Mash Team Shushko uh, for the future. Do you have a worry at all, given the fact that the Flyers weren't playing great hockey by any stretch despite their record? But do you have any worry that this big pause that just hit them out of nowhere due to COVID may send it further off the rails a bit this season? It certainly isn't going to help right away, considering everybody's still on COVID protocol. Um, in you know the next week at this time, when theoretically everybody should be back and, and you know everything is back to normal, um, I don't know. You know, it's they were. They weren't playing well, but all the magic was going their way, right? All the bounces, all the lucky plays, all the this and that. Like, it's possible that that comes back and the magic's gone, right? All of a sudden, JVR's not getting all the tips. And the, you know, defense is kind of shooting themselves in the foot and they're paying for it. And the goaltending isn't bailing them out. You know, that's kind of worrisome. But on the flip side, if we're going to take glass at full approach, not something I'm used to, but we can try. If you take that approach and say maybe they all had, you know, time here to catch their breath for a few days. Oh, I guess it's hard to catch your breath if they have COVID. But point being is that if they can sit down and, and relax and take the, okay, whew, take a breath, go back out there and try and figure everything out again, it could benefit them if they can figure out a way to get their play going more consistently. But, yeah, it, it may also hurt them if they're, you know, their lucky streak runs out when they come back. It's funny because I'm really caught in between the thought process that I was at before the season started, where I don't think this team is going to compete this season, so I don't see a point in even really getting invested into it. And then another thought process that says, you know, everything was going their way. They were winning despite their poor play on the ice. And what could happen when they actually start playing well? So why not go for it? So lately, I've like thrown out like certain ideas, like would you want a, a Drew Doughty or a Brent Burns on Twitter? And a lot of people come back to things like, well, that this isn't the year to do it, or the Flyers can't afford to spend that kind of money on a big ticket player in the next couple of years. And it again just gets me a bit confused on like where do people really see this team because. If you're not going to spend that money now, that means that you're not, you don't have your eyes on a cop. 
But then in the same breath, a lot of these people say that the Flyers could win a Stanley Cup this year. And theoretically, that is true, especially given how wide open that East Division is, although the Islanders are like a freight train right now. But where do you kind of stand on that? Like, let's just say, for instance, a Brent Burns was available because of how crap the uh, Sharks are and his contract is a lot more digestible than a guy like Drew Doughty. Is that a guy that you would make a splash for this season? Yeah, I I don't see why not, especially if they head into the playoffs where they are now. I mean, they're still second in the East Division. They haven't played in, you know, a week and a half. So uh, if they can keep this momentum up and come back and still look, you know, decent, at least string together wins and whatever they were doing before, like, yeah, you got to start going for it here. And, you know, oh, well, we got to wait a little longer. We got to wait till, you know, Morgan Frost isn't lined up full time. Like, you can't do that anymore. You know, your window is open, but realistically, it's only open for a short amount of time here, given, you know, the, the sands of time of Giroux and Couturier and, and uh, Voracek are all kind of slowing down here a little bit. You know, you got to start going for it. And, and this has been a talking point I've had, you know, off and on throughout this show in the last little while here is, does Chuck Fletcher make that kind of move at the deadline? You know, it, it, are we going to see another Nate Thompson and Derek Grant, just minimal depth guys that do more harm than they do good? Or are we going to see them go out and get, you know, whoever is the top guy, you know, Brent Burns or whoever, right? You know, that's an interesting question to me. You know, that's the part where Fletcher never really did that in Minnesota, you know, he had the one year we got Martin Hansel and, you know, he signed uh, Zuccarello in the off season. And it's like, yeah, it's great and all, but you know, is he going to be able to bring in and find that difference maker, that legitimate playoff addition, even if it's not a rental piece, you know, is he going to be willing to do that? And, and I don't know. I really hope he does, but I'm not convinced he does either. If I was in charge, I absolutely would, you know, give this team as much help as they can. If they've got the fire in their bellies this year and the luck is still running, Give them all they need to make something happen. I absolutely would, but I don't know if Chuck Fletcher will or not. Well, it's because one thing that Dean said in quoting Potvin, and I've said this a few times on Twitter, and then the Dan Silvers of the world come at me and give me like anomalies, like Mark Giordano or whatever, but the rule of thumb is a defenseman is what he is after 300 games. And obviously there's still a lot of runway left for Phil Myers. Um, there's Cam York on the way. But I think we pretty much have a good idea on what guys like Provorov, Gossespear, and Travis Sanheim are. Yeah. And while I think Provorov is a stud, and from a Flyers perspective, maybe not a league-wide perspective, but from a Flyers perspective, he's a generational defenseman. And Gossespear has at least proved to be a solid, adequate, maybe five number five defenseman. And, well, we know how we feel about Travis Sanheim. I don't know if they're collectively good enough to win a Stanley Cup with this group as is. Because maybe Myers will get there eventually to a point where they can be good enough in-house. But at this point, I don't think he's there yet. And I think that as good as Provorov is, he isn't at that elite level like, let's say, Hedman. But even a Hedman had guys like Sergachev and McDonough to, to lean on. To a point where he could carry these guys. And I think adding a Burns back there or like if a Ryan Ellis became available in Nashville or what have you. And my personal favorite would be Doughty. But that contract is just like makes it almost impossible to even consider. 
I think that it's becoming kind of obvious here that this team may need another impactful defenseman to that point. Because I don't know if guys like Sanheim and Gossespeer and Myers and Braun are good enough collectively to be that good supporting cast for a guy like Provorov. And, you know, I, I've talked about in recent weeks, like maybe adding an Adam Larson, either at the deadline or in the off season. And while I do think Larson would be a good addition, I'm starting to question whether or not that type of ad would be enough, like a passable first pair defenseman. Absolutely. I think Larson could be that with Ivan Provorov. But is there a need for them to add another legitimate top pairing defenseman, no matter who his partner is? Not a top pairing defenseman that he's a top pair guy, depending on who his partner is. And I don't know, like, do you think the Flyers need a guy that could just be like a Niskanen type? Or if they really want to win a Stanley Cup, they're going to have to add like a Burns, a Hamilton or an Ellis type. Even if Matt Niskanen didn't retire, they would still need at least another body or two in that blue line before I felt comfortable. And now that Niskanen's gone, like, you absolutely, like, I was driving the Alex Petrangelo bus this summer, you know, and, and I, they have to be kicking themselves for not even, you know, kicking tires on that guy. Um, but you need somebody like that, you know, as much as, I, 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 we all know what I remember. He can handle his shit. He's perfectly fine out there doing his thing. Goss Bear, I want nothing to see from this guy ever again. You know, he's fine if you give him a very limited chance to screw anything up. Travis Sanheim, I can't stand the guy. Gus is in a waste of goddamn space. Phil Myers is a work in progress. He shows flashes of absolute brilliance, but, you know, he's just not at that level yet. And Braun Hagen Friedman are just dudes, right? So you need the guy, even if Cam York comes up and makes the NHL next season, you know, without playing any AHL minutes and can just come up and look good like he's probably still you know two or three years away before we see him you know being able to be a top legitimate defenseman if that's indeed what he is um and Zamula you know his hockey IQ is through the roof but what I've seen early with the Phantoms is there's a lot of transitioning that needs to get done there you know he's he's a he's like six four and like 130 pounds or something completely just a tall lanky mess who is not ready to hang in with the men yet essentially so he's got the IQ but he's not quite there he pretty much is essentially Phil Myers um, especially at this point in his career um, but yeah I, I I you gotta find a you gotta find help whether it's Hamilton in the off season and you you know do it next year or somebody worth a shit in the the offseason, you know, or in the, the trade deadline, rather. Like, they're going to need some more help here. Like, Larson would help, but I, I just don't think it's really what they need. If Niskanen was still here, and then you bring in a Larson, okay, exactly. that would be something. But, you know, now, because you did not address your number two hole in the offseason, now you're kind of dangling here, and Sanheim and Myers have so far not risen up and grabbed that gold ring and, and secured that spot. Now you're riding with Shane Goss's bear in that role, who, you know, is hot and cold depending on the night. So, yeah, you definitely need some big-time help on that blue line. And maybe it comes internally in Cam York, but is he going to come in time to fit in with the rest of the careers of the Giroux's and the Couturier's and the Hayes and the Vortech? Like, I don't know. That, that would be cutting it rather close. So, yeah, looking outside for some help should be priority number one, uh, both at the trade deadline and this summer, really. Yeah, you make a brilliant point because even before Niskin retired, 
after what I saw in the bubble and the playoffs, I said, okay, they got to add someone who could play in the top four. And I thought, like, the thought process would have been, like, let's say you added a Pietrangelo or even an Adam Larson, to your point. If you had Provrov and Larson and then you had Sanheim and Niskanen and then Haig or Gossespierre with Myers on your third pair, like, then, yeah, then that's a lot of depth there. And you have a Larson and a Niskanen to be with Provrov and Sanheim. It's just very well-rounded. But now, to your point, now that Niskanen's not there, just adding, let's say, a strong second pair, passable first pair guy in Adam Larson, I don't think is going to cut it because then you're still left with that third pairing because to your point, you didn't even address this at number two hole. So you're still left with that weak third pairing. And I think that until you can force like a Sanheim or a Myers down to that third pair, you're not really going to see an improvement on this back end because like you said, I don't, they can't in any realistic world be banking on guys like Zimbula or York being impactful additions to this group because it's just too far away. Like, I mean, even if one of them makes the roster next season, what are they going to be like? Do people remember what Ivan Provov was in 16, 17 here? Like, he was a mess for, like, the first half of the season and only became, like, a, a everyday passable top-pairing guy near the end. And I don't think either of those guys are the quality of Ivan Provorov. So, I mean, I just, I don't, again, it's just, I really don't know where the direction is for this team. That That's the thing that's driving me the most nuts here. Because if you went balls deep in either direction, I would be on board with it. The direction of you're going to go win a cup or you're going to, let's say, take a step back for a year or two and reassess when all these young guys come up. But it's like they're not choosing a direction at all. And it's just like it's driving me nuts because I'd be good with either or. But to be good with, let's say you want to choose the road of a Stanley Cup, then how could you possibly tell me that you're down that road this season when to the point you just made, you didn't even address Matt Niskanen. It's like one guy that I keep coming back on that would have made perfect sense. And I see what he's doing in Calgary is Chris Tanev. I just think that through and through he was the perfect guy to replace Matt Niskanen. And he came at a good contract too. I think he's making four and a half million dollars. If you had a Chris Tanev on this team, then, like you brought up, you add an Adam Larson and you could start to realistically envision a cup contending group on, on the back end. But now you're unless you add this home run player like a Hamilton or a Brent Burns or a Ryan Ellis, which is, you know, it's a pipe dream, at least in season. I can't see this defensive group winning. And this is to say nothing of offense. And. To this point, I'll eat my words that the the quote-unquote top guys have pulled their weight and then some in Voracek and JVR and Hayes and to a lesser extent Giroux. But I mean, I still do think that the physicality or lack thereof is a big issue. But in terms of the high-end offense, it's there. But that defense, like, you know, I, I keep saying to the point you made, but you hit it on the nail perfectly. With Niskanen, they were theoretically one piece away but now that he's gone they're two or a massive piece away yeah and and 
That seems to be the story here is for the Flyers this season is they're good enough to be, but not quite good enough to get to that next level and, and say the same thing for the forwards. You know, it's been a real disappointing year for a lot of these guys. You know, like I said before, when JVR and Jake Voracek are carrying your team offensively, you know you fucked up somewhere. And, uh, you know, guys like Konechny, you know, basically been non-existent outside the very first Penguin series to open the season. And, you know, Farabee has caught fire a little bit lately, but he He's been nothing. Patrick's been nothing. You know, Lindblom, you know, I don't want to hold it against him, but he's been more or less invisible. Like, you're missing Couturier for all that time with injury. Like, this has been a really rough squad just all around. And, uh, you know, they could have really used all this talk that they were in all season. Oh, man, they need Patrick Lyon. Like, man, he would have got a long friggin' way with this team to start this year. But... You know, we got this mess of a team here, and I, I will stay firm with my assessment that they're a playoff team. They'll probably, you know, make it to the second round again, depending on who their first round matchup is, but it's not the Islanders or something. But uh, I don't know if they're anything more than that. You know, maybe a, a first or second round team right now. And it goes back. We you know, Will Chuck Fletcher pull the trigger on a big addition? And I don't know. I mean, they don't, they're not exactly in great uh, financial spirits to make that happen. They have about three-quarters of a million dollars in cap space right now. Um, but, I don't know, I'm going to have to wait and see. Put out a piece on Monday talking about some of the trades, too. Sanheim, Konechny, and uh, Lawton uh, and Raffle. You know, as far as potentially moving them for uh, things at the trade deadline in the offseason. Which went over about as well as you think it would. Um but uh, one more thing we need to settle here before we, we go today. Wrote a piece, just supposed to be a fun little happy piece, and everybody's real mad at it, so I'll, I'll throw it to you. Who should be the next captain of the Philadelphia Flyers? Um, I know everyone is going to scream in unison from the heavens that it should be Sean Couturier. That's so dumb. I got. Yeah. I suggested Oscar Lindbaum. It's supposed to be a nice little happy piece. Oh, the cancer patient coming back, and he's leading your team. And you can build around him, and it's positivity and spiritual. And people are like, "Fuck you!" It's Sean Couturier. I'm like, <laughs> that just, just doesn't make any sense. First of all, Giroud and Couturier's contracts run concurrently with each other. They're both up in 22. So Giroud's not going to go for at least two more years. The only way Giroud's even losing the captaincy at that point is if they choose not to re-sign him, right? Theoretically, they're both going to be here for at least you know four or five more years to concurrent with each other. So that's not going anywhere. By the time Giroud gives that up and Couturier gets it, he'll be in his mid-30s, which means he's only got a couple years left. By no means will he be a top-line player at that point. So he doesn't get it. I think realistically, if we're being totally open and honest, it's Provorov's role to lose at this point. Yeah. But, like, goddamn, these people that keep suggesting Sean Couturier, like, what the fuck? What are they thinking? When when you change your captain, it's more times than not to, like, usher in a new era. Yes. And, like, look, there's exceptions to the rules, like like um, Bergeron getting the C here in boston but the thing is is like it's still the same era it's just that zidane Chara played till he was a million years old <laughs> so eventually they just had to be like okay like we have to integrate some new talent on the back end and the thing is is that they've continued to win and win and make playoffs and cup finals and second rounds and all that fun stuff when Giroux is gone and he's no like i don't want to see a face from that era anymore. And it's nothing in Sean Couturier, but like 
when Sean Couturier got here, Giroux wasn't even captain yet. Like, Giroux was named captain when Couturier was already on the roster. Yes. At a certain point, you kind of have to turn that new leaf. Like, I don't know. I've never liked it when, like, you know, a guy, like, someone new has to be named captain and it's just, like, someone who's been there forever. Like, when the Sharks have been, they did that. Remember, it went from, like, Marlowe to Thornton to Pavelski. And now, now it's Couture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, like, it's the same guys, you know? Like, it's still, the, and, you know, the Sharks are kind of that team that, well, they're just a, a fucking mess right now. But, like, they're just that team that I don't want the Flyers to be of, like, clinging to, like, that old group and those old faces of the team when like it's long gone and i don't think the flyers are even close to that point yet thank god but like and i'm not even saying katori would be a bad player to be named captain and let's say if Giroux had to retire tomorrow for x reason i think he would be the captain but yes. to your point by the time Giroux actually leaves is it going to be Katori? Like, are you going to wheel out a 33 Katori to strap the C on him? And I know people will be like, oh, well, Bergeron. But it's like, even like, um, like, look at what happened in St. Louis. Like, Pietrangelo leaves, and a lot of people thought that maybe it could have been like a Gene Schwartz or Vladimir Tarasenko. But like, they were bringing in kind of like that new era and they gave it to Ryan O'Reilly and he's an older guy, but he's, he's a new face on that team. It's what his third or fourth season there. And, you know, Pietrangelo, he was still kind of of that old group of when like Oshie and Berglin and Bacchus and Jackman, and they were all there. Like, you know, the, you got changed with the times here. And I'm not saying that Katori would be a bad choice, but I just, I think that again, if let's say we knew Giroux was t retiring at the end of this season, then obviously it's Sean Couturier. But to your point, by the time Giroux actually does retire, like really Couturier, I, I think there's a good chance that the next captain of this team isn't even on the roster. <laughs> That's also a possibility. Could be Cam York. Yeah, like it, other it's guy. Maxim Shushko. Well, it, it's also like what? <laughs> because like here's another thing, like. If let's say the Flyers bought him out for whatever reason, because I know because their their spot in the playoffs is anything but guaranteed, based on what the Islanders have done. Like it's good. I think it's going to be a dogfight for those final three positions, and one of the four teams of the Flyers, Penguins, Islanders, and Caps are going to miss, and they're probably going to get in. But for whatever reason, let's say they don't get in, can you really come back with this same group next year? No. Like, the quicker they can get away from this group, the better, actually. Like, what? Like, <laughs> unless they make it to, like, a conference final this year, there's not a whole lot of convincing you could do to me, do in my... I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. There's not a whole lot of convincing you could do to convince me that coming back with this group would be the best decision next year. Yeah. Like, 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 like Kings, like... The Kings, when they stripped Dustin Brown, like, Andre Kopitar was only in his mid-20s at the time or something. He was, like, 26. Sean yeah. Couturier's already 28. So, again, even if that theory of, even if Giroud would go down tomorrow, like, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You would need to find somebody theoretically younger in a voice. I don't know if it's Provar or not. He doesn't seem like the captain material to me. But, again, I don't know what goes on in the locker room. But from an outside perspective, he just seems like a quiet dude. But... 
don't know. I just thought that was a... I just tried to be happy and put a nice little happy piece up today about Oscar Lindblom. And boy, people get fucking angry at me. <laughs> it's funny because I remember when the Flyers did that overhaul in the summer of 07. And obviously, Peter Forsberg was the captain and he got traded. And you had so many options to be named captain. Like, Hatcher was on that team and yeah. he was... He held the C for a brief period in between Primo and Forsberg. They brought in three different captains in Briere and Tiemann and Jason Smith, who ultimately ended up getting the C for that one season. Everyone was talking about, you know, Mike Richards is the next Bobby Clark. He's going to get the C, and he eventually did, but that season he got an A. Simon Gagne, actually, reportedly they had offered the C to him on two occasions, and he declined, but he always had that A. You had Mike Knubel, who I actually thought was going to become captain. Like, you had all these different players who you could say could be wear the C or be an assistant captain. And now it's like, well, who's it going to be? And I think it's just, I'm not trying to say that just from an outside perspective, like, my opinion is, you know, Bible or whatever, but... At the same time, it kind of speaks to where they're at now that it's hard to find one guy who could be the next captain. God, what I wouldn't give to have Jason Smith on this team right now. Yeah. <sighs> Remember when, Rich when Richards left and then they gave the C to Pronger and then they had Briere and Teamnam wearing the A's? And that's when you had Giroux, Yager, Hartnell all on that team? Simmons? yeah. yeah. Like, think about the leadership on that team. And it's like... We don't it, need leadership. Like, it, this is just from an outside perspective, obviously. But does it not seem like a lot of times AV is just trying to, like, round up the, the children? <laughs> More often than not these days, yeah. Like, it seems like he is just the glue that keeps everything together. It It, it certainly feels that way. Like, but. and the people that say fire AV, that's, uh... Oh, God, if this core outlives another coach, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to lose my goddamn mind. <laughs> okay, I wanted to ask you something before we do close it out here, and it's because of what happened in Pittsburgh, and we kind of brought it up last week, but it's another trend in the NHL that we're seeing more and more, and that's the president of hockey ops. And I know that Chuck Fletcher is the president of hockey ops and the general manager but, you know, we've seen it in Toronto with Shanahan. Obviously, Pittsburgh, it's Burke. We have, there's um, Bob Nicholson in um, Cal, uh, no, it's Edmonton. Like, throughout the league, we see a lot of organizations that have the president and then the general manager. Because I guess more teams are being more corporately owned with off-hands owners. Uh, Cam Neely in Boston with Don Sweeney as the GM. Do you think, and obviously it's not going to happen here in Philly, so it's strictly hypothetical because Chuck Fletcher basically is the Philadelphia Flyers, but do you think when they moved on from Ron Hextall and they interiorly knew that Holmgren was going to retire, they would have been best served to hire a president along with the general manager? Yeah, they probably should have found uh, that that extra guy there you know his voice in his ear um to to help him out but they gave him the keys to the castle maybe that was part of his deal in coming here was i'm not gonna come here if i can be you know it's just me in charge but uh yeah they probably should have found uh somebody else to uh help him steer his ship 
And I'm not even going to crap on Chuck Fletcher because I think he's done more good things than bad. And I think a lot of the direction he has taken this team in has been based on mandate from ownership. But it does mildly concern me that it's essentially him now. Like back in the day, like you had homegroom who you knew was going to do anything to win. But you always had, you know, Schneider lurking in the background who would step in if shit got really bad. And, you know, I guess Clark was more hands-on back then. And you had, I think it was Peter Luco was one of the presidents or whatever. But, like, I don't know. It's just kind of weird now that, like, it almost doesn't even feel like the Flyers anymore in a lot of ways. Yeah, the old guard has fallen. You know, Snyder's gone. Clark's gone. Holmgren's gone. It's just a new corporate Comcast Philadelphia Flyers with Chuck Fletcher at the helm. And a lot of people wanted that old guard to fall, but do you think it was for the better or the worse? Or It's an interesting question, really. You know, yeah, it's probably time that they were gone, but at the same time, the last time this team was successful was when they were all involved somehow. You know, um, you get this... this I, Fletcher, I, I, I think he's trying his best to make something out of these guys and and hopefully this summer of not doing anything and getting this whatever they're doing right now product on the ice was a kick in the ass that they need a little more uh, a little more help but you know having somebody and people like Ed Snyder obviously were few and far between but somebody like that to come down and start throwing trash cans and making trades and doing whatever he needs to do to you know fire up the boys you know that kind of passion is just something you don't see every day so having somebody like him around would uh, probably go uh, a long way these days i've all i've often thought over the last number of years like if they would ever bring chris pronger to that front office they just they just had him on one of the pregames not too long ago and he said that he's not interested in rejoining an nhl team anytime soon nah that so, sucks because know. it it, it almost seems like, and obviously it can't come from only, like, the front office, but, like, almost just, like, that figurehead that's, like, enthusiastic or not even enthusiastic, but you just know is, like, you have that confidence in. Like, I just remember when the lease brought in Brendan Shanahan as the president and it kind of like legitimized the new direction they were going in. Yeah. And obviously it doesn't always have to be like that, but... I don't know. Like, and again, to your point, I, I think Chuck Fletcher is doing the best he can, and I do think he ha- he has specific marching orders from Dave Scott. But I mean, it just it just feels kind of bland, you know. You need somebody that's been there and done that, you know. The the uh, Chris Pronger type, you know, that that that, that veteran guy that was there, and obviously those are you know few and far between as well. But it does feel very bland right now. Um, Pretty much from top to bottom, from, you know, Dave Scott on down, essentially. Um, so, yeah, I guess that, uh, it's an antiquated way of thinking, Anthony. You gotta, you gotta get the new shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, it, it's it's weird, but it, I almost kind of got jealous, jealous when I found out that Burke went to the Penguins. Oddly, <laughs> maybe I'm yeah. stuck in the past, but he's a guy that people make fun of, but results follow where he goes. Yeah, do have some updated schedules here. 
uh, for the Flyers. Their game... Oh boy, this is all out of whack, isn't it? Uh, they got a... April 27th. That hasn't happened yet. Why is that on this list? New Jersey... Jesus Christ. They rescheduled a whole bunch of games, everybody. You can look it up for your fucking selves here. This isn't any, <laughs> any kind of calendar order here. Oh, Lord. February 11th against the Devils has been rescheduled for April 25th. Uh, April 1st against the Devils has been rescheduled for the 27th of April. The New Jersey Devils at Philadelphia scheduled for February 13th is now May 10th. Flyers at Washington scheduled for February 9th. Uh, oh, they're rescheduled at a later date. Okay, so the February 9th game, which would have been right before everything, the shit at the fan, that's rescheduled at, at a later time. Rangers is rescheduled for a later time, which is their game that they were to play tonight, I believe. Uh, so, yeah, a whole bunch of rescheduled. You can look it up, but it's all on the, uh, the old Twitter machine there. The NHL just released a update, so. There you go, everybody. And uh, we'll be back. You've got somebody on. Who is it? Who are we do- dealing tomorrow? Uh, Arthur Staple, who is the Islanders insider for The Athletic. Arthur Staple, let me write that down. All <laughs> right. <laughs> I never knew who we have on these shows, but that's fine. Um, the rest of the schedule here is pretty quiet. Uh, don't really know what's going on yet. Obviously, it'll depend if they play Thursday or not uh, versus how the rest of the week shakes out schedule-wise. Um, so we'll figure all that out later. But uh, at Dan the Flyer fan, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore pod, and at Heart Countdown underscore. Uh, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Demarco 25 All right, but until next time, goodbye and good night. Yeah! Yeah!